year. Last show of the year. Happy New Year, everyone. And I've got a great show lined up tonight with Dr. Bill Warner, and uh, we're going to be discussing political Islam. And Bill Warner is the uh, founder of the Center for the Study of Political Islam, and Bill has uh, had a long battle in fighting and exposing Islam, and this is about my 22nd uh, show for this year, 2019, uh, discussing Islam shows with Lloyd DeYoung, with uh, Todd, as well as with uh, Sonia Azam and, and others, uh, uh, Pastor Christopher Manti, etc. But uh, we wanted to uh, continue this line of research into Islam and help uh, people further understand the agenda on what it is. And Bill, welcome to the show. Good to, good to hear. And uh, you know what? I just realized uh, I forgot to put on my headphones, so people may not be able to hear you properly. Hold on just a second. Get that fixed uh, real fast so that uh, we make sure that everybody can hear you as they're supposed to. Goodness, so much to think about and do, but, and then you forget your headphones. So uh, let's see here. That should make things better. Hopefully everybody can hear you now. Can you uh, uh, just, uh, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Everybody should be able to uh, hear you now. Anyway, welcome to the show, Bill. I'm happy to be here. So uh, let's see. We've got a lot to cover. But uh, first off, uh, you want to talk about the organization that you founded and who's involved in that? Yes. It's the Center for the Study of Political Islam. I coined the word political Islam right after 9-11 because I realized I'd studied Islam before 9-11 and I realized that the battle was on, but that we needed something that we could discuss in America. And with the First Amendment, I wasn't about to try to take on any religion, all right? But I am interested in taking on a political system. And so I define the word political Islam to refer to the part of Islam that deals with the non-believer, people like you and me. So this is the study of political Islam I have, a, oddly enough, I have an organization in Europe, which is the Center for the Study of Political Islam, and I have 200 men there and women. So I have a large organization that's functioning in Europe, and we're going to bring it this year to America. I've been over there. I've been having a working organization for six years over there. So we developed manuals, procedures, and now we're going to bring it to America. Great to hear. And uh, so you've been, you know, for, for those who don't know, uh, Dr. Bill Warner, he's considered a, uh, a raving bigot and Islamophobe. And uh, what other names do they call you? It's just one long hyphenated word, racist, hater, bigot, Islamophobe. Oh, that's okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's, the one, he's the one white nationalist if you want to. Oh, really? Racist. Yeah. Well, you know, and the interesting thing is, is that the Nazis and the Islamists worked together in World War II, and they still do today. We've expose that extensively on this show but that's something that they don't want people to understand and it's like if you are you know if you are exposing this and using primary citations and documentable facts that that's all i do that's that's what makes you the racist you know and, and as long as you tote the official line and uh, don't cite their own documents and books and and whatnot you're fine but as soon as you actually crack the Quran or the Hadith or the Tasvir, etc., that makes you an Islamophobe if you actually provide their own citations to show what it's about. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. And people like myself, David Wood, Robert Spencer, uh, Amil Amani, all of us do the same thing. We quote the primary sources. I like to tell people my two teachers are Dr. Allah and Professor Muhammad. <laughs> But it's true. Yeah. That's all, I, I quote Muhammad more than anybody except the local imam. Wow. Well, you, and probably more than him, too, because, you know, in my opinion, if most Islamists knew what the Quran actually uh, teaches, they probably wouldn't be Islamist. Would, would you agree with that? Well, once you actually understand the doctrine and you really understand it, it takes a peculiar kind of person to stay with it. 
I can give you an example here. Christians for 1400 years have not been very successful in converting Muslims to Christianity. There are two reasons for this, but there are people now who've shown us how to do this successfully. And the way you successfully teach, convert a Muslim to Christianity is first of all, you explain to him what Islam is, who Muhammad is, who Allah is. And once you understand who they are through the, through the primary sources, then you create doubt within the minds of the Muslim because it's like, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like what he reads and hears that come from Muhammad and Allah. Then you teach Jesus. Then you have a chance of converting. I spoke with a man in my house about three or four months ago, a Christian from Australia who has converted 2,600 Muslims to Christianity by himself. Wow. So it is a system that works. That is, so everyone, Muslim and non-Muslim, needs to understand Islam. That's, that's all I'm about. That's my marketing plan. I want to explain to you what Islam really is through the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. The Sirah is the biography, the Hadith are his traditions, and of course the Quran everybody's heard of, even if they've never read it. Right. Well, That's you know, we get some idiots out there who think that uh, Islam and Judaism are the same thing, and that Islam came out of Judaism, even though Islam specifically says that they must kill all Jews. And most of the anti-Semitic tacks out there were, were started through Islam. You know, this is a largely unrecognized situation. And may I add, even amongst Jews, I know, I know many Jews and they they want to. Everyone has met this nice person who is a Muslim. So they met. Well, if this he's a nice guy and he's a Muslim, then Islam must be good. Well, you're you're Islam and Muslims are two different things. As you may well know. Being yeah, well, and, and, and we've exposed the very, you know, the differences of such nonsense <clears throat> claims. And, you know, there's always someone out there with the less than 95 IQ who regurgitates such uh, dumb uh, claims without, you know, reading or understanding anything. And then you have other people that claim that, oh, well, the Vatican founded Islam. And never mind that the Muslims attacked the Vatican and tried to get over the wall. In fact, that's why the Vatican has the wall now, but exactly, you know, and so you get, you know, you get some really low IQ people who make such claims, but you know, so let's segue from there for a minute. You've been under severe attack through Google, PayPal, YouTube, Amazon, et cetera. Would you talk about that? Well, it's a coordinated story. We need to start with the fact that there's a man called George Soros. You've heard of him, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. He, Nazi, right. So anyway, he has an organization called Media Matters. And some years ago, I can't remember the exact time, Media Matters had a conference in Florida. And it was the featured people were the Southern Poverty Law Center. Have you explained to your audience who the Southern Poverty Law Center no, is? No, why don't you go ahead and do that? Well, it is a civil rights organization that is deals with bigotry and hatred. And they've turned hatred into a major business. They're worth over a third of a billion dollars, which is a lot of money for a civil rights organization. And a lot of their money is overseas. But that has nothing to do with the fact that they make unsubstantiated charges. At one time, they said that I was one of America's top 10 bigots, which was a man now 79 years old, a father, a grandfather was sort of odd that I was one of the worst people in America. Anyway, <laughs> After this conference, things already started to happening. Let me give you an example. My book on Sharia law was number one bestseller on Islamic law on Amazon. Not bad, eh? Right. That disappeared. You could still see my book on the on Amazon, but you didn't get those the, the viral connections to, to lead you to it. You had to look it up specifically. So that's what happened with Amazon. Before this, YouTube had contacted me and told me, you're doing extraordinarily well with your videos, but you don't know what you're doing. We were going to assign you a person from YouTube to teach you how to make good videos. So I did what they said. My viewership went up. Then other thing, then after the Media Matters meeting, all of a sudden I was demonetized. They wanted me to bring in the most money. They went from telling me, we want you to bring in the most to we don't want your money at all. Then shadow banning, Twitter, of course, is standard. Oh yeah, I've been I've been shadow banned on Twitter for years. I think ever since I opened my account, in fact. It could be. <laughs> so anyway, 
Let's see. I, then, I've got like three thousand people on my Twitter account. This is simulcasting over there right now, and that, that you know, and it'll have like, you know, a handful of views with thousands of people subscribed to my Twitter account. Okay, so you've experienced the same thing. I have. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, let's see. Then about three or four weeks ago, PayPal contacted me and told me that they were taking me off their pay. We use them for donations. They said we're shutting you down because you have violated our terms and conditions that box you check. Right. Then I got one from my personal account, which said that I was a safety risk, which was the oddest thing. I've already told you I'm 79 years old and to be a safety risk at age 79 is like really sort of odd, isn't it? Right. Well, you know, uh, when you present primary citations, that's a, that's, that is a safety risk for those who are spreading, uh, lies and bullshit, you know, and, and see that the trolls are, the trolls are going ape, ape shit in the uh chat tonight you know they just can't handle uh that you and i are on discussing all of this stuff so they're trying to attack me they're trying to attack you calling me a sellout this and that you know and they're very frightened when anybody puts out this information so you get these you know weak-minded morons who for money they go out and troll and harass people and they spread you know hate speech and, uh, you know, so anybody who doesn't tote the line, they have to attack or bring up irrelevant nonsense because they can't deal with the discussion at hand. You know, this is the nub of the problem. That is, people, when they debate with me, they don't use Islam to debate with me. They basically accuse me of being a racist, hater, bigot, Islamophobe. Right. And by the way, you've mentioned some of these people as being low IQ. I've had this done to me by department heads at universities. These are people <laughs> with plenty of IQ points. Well, you know, most most university professors only hit about 130, 135, so I still consider them pretty down there, but you know, that's a whole other I'm just I'm just telling you some there are some very intelligent people who have been believing have been told that people such as myself are evil, and so they just believe that. Because they they don't want to probe into the subject of Islam itself. Most people are very happy not knowing anything about it. They don't want to hear about it, talk about it, think about it. And so the reason people like myself are scary is we want to talk about it and think about it. That's what's scary. Right. Well, and I wanted to say very quickly hello to uh, Sonia Zam in the uh, chat there. She was on the show a few weeks ago. She was an Islamic apostate turned Christian. And uh, so welcome to uh, I'm glad you're watching the show, Sonia. And, um, you know, let me say to Sonia, whom I've never met, you're one of the most courageous people in the world. Anybody who leaves Islam has a, is a person of intelligence and and courage. Yep, And, uh, you know, she uh, basically went into hiding for a while, but I had her on the show a few weeks ago. Maybe you want to check that out. Maybe she should contact you and have you uh, on her show as well. But she has a a YouTube channel trying to convert uh, Muslims to Christianity now. So even braver, right? Yes. So Islam and their wars, are they all defensive wars? Well, part of them are. Part of them were, but now they're no longer. Here's the thing about Islam. It is a dualistic system. Yes, there were peaceful wars, the, the defensive wars, and then there were offensive wars. Just about everything you can say about Islam, you can say two things about it. Muhammad's life can be summarized like this. He preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and converted about 150 people. That's about 10 a year. The religion, the peaceful religion was a failure. He was driven out of Mecca because he created dissension within the town. And so then he went to Medina where he became a politician and a jihadist. And this is, comes directly from the official biography. When he died, every Arab on the peninsula was a Muslim. So jihad and politics made him overwhelmingly successful. So we have here two Muhammads, a politician and a religious leader. So Islam is a religion, but the bulk of its doctrine is about the non-Muslim, the kafir. Right. 51% of the Quran being about killing and subjugating the non-believers. Yes. Kafir, right. So, but part of the Quran, by the way, is quite beautiful. So what I'm saying is, is that the heart of the problem in understanding Islam is it's its dualistic nature. It's like it's got good stuff and bad stuff. And because what we want to say is this, well, I met this Muslim, he's a nice guy, so therefore Islam is nice. Doesn't work that way. Let's talk about Islam rather than Muslim. I never discuss Muslims, by the way. But a Muslim must follow the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith if he's to be a real Muslim. 
So the question is, which is the real Islam? Well, they're both real. It is a religion of peace, and it's also the jihad of it's the politics of jihad and death. And you want to say, well, wait a minute, those contradict each other. So one of them has to be wrong. You're thinking like a Westerner when you think like that. You follow me? That's Aristotelian logic. Right. Islam is based on dualistic logic. Instead of eliminating contradictions, it embraces contradictions. And so therefore, anything, what it boils down to is just about anything you want to say is true. Right. Well, and so to your point there, a contradiction is always a lie or an error under Aristotelian logic, whereas... Yes. And, you know, there are no contradictions in nature. So Islam hides behind that using takia, et cetera, to, uh, you know, spread their, their doctrine. And so, you know, that's the foundation of Islam is spreading lies, whereas the foundation of Christianity, God cannot lie. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Satan is the father of all lies. So, um, you know, that going back to, I, I sent you that citation from the OED earlier about, uh, uh, Baphomet being another name for Muhammad, but most people don't realize that you know that is at the core. It's a religion of lying and deception and and death. It is all those things. Muhammad was involved in ninety-five acts of jihad in nine years of his life. Think about that: ninety-five acts of jihad in nine years. That's a lot of jihad. But the reason he did it was it became, it made him successful. He, he won at that game. So we, again, we're just, we're talking about the dualism of Islam because it's so many people fall prey to this. They meet a nice person or they hear something or they read a nice verse out of the Quran and they want to say, well, see, that's nice. Therefore, Islam is nice. Forgetting abrogation. Well, even the Quran, look, the Muslims, the Arabs of Muhammad's day were not dummies. They said to him, says, whoa, wait a minute, Muhammad. Last year you told us this, now you're telling us that. Those two things contradict each other. Which one is it? So the Quran advances a, 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 what was called abrogation, which is the latter verse is stronger and better than the earlier verse. Listen carefully to what I said. The earlier verse is still true, it's just weaker. So that's the way they handle, that's the reason I say it's actually dualistic, because both things are true at the same time. That calls it abrogation, but the dualism thing also covers the hadith. For instance, there are hadith about beating your wife. There are hadith about not beating your wife. So which is it? Do you beat her or not? Well, you can have whichever thing you want. So Islam is like having a sink with hot water and cold water. You want hot water, you got it. You want cold water, you got it. Anything, you want war, you want peace, it's there. Anything that uh, Muhammad said is halal and therefore good. It's all good. Right. <laughs> Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law, as the Satanists say, right? Right. So uh, let's see here. Moving on. Uh, most people don't realize that there were 500 wars into Europe by the Islamists before the Crusades pushed the Muslims back into the mm -hmm. Middle East uh, to stop the invasion, the enslavement of, of Europe and the subjugation of Europe by uh, King Jan of Poland, who led that. Yes. We've done some good things in dealing with Islam. However, I maintain this, that we can defeat Islam now without use of sword, war, and whatnot. This is an ideological war, and we need to enter into it. What this means is, is that every Christian needs to understand Islam. Now, let me, let me give you a little story here about the sadness of this. 20 years ago, right after 9-11, there was the first of the bridge building exercises here in Nashville. A rabbi came, a Methodist minister came, and a Muslim imam came. So my wife asked him this question. She said to the Christian and the Jew, have you read the Quran? No. She said to the imam, have you read the Old Testament? Yes, I have. I've had courses in it. She said, have you read the New Testament? Yes, I have. I've had courses in that as well. So how is this going to work? I tell you, it's going to work. 20 years later, the Christians in the town of Nashville know less about Islam than they did 20 years ago, because 20 years ago, they, were, they knew nothing. And now then they think they know something, and the, the something is good. So we have here actually negative knowledge. So therefore, I maintain that well Christians said. need to know what? Well said, negative knowledge. That's exactly correct. Yes. So therefore, I maintain that what we have to do is we have to start educating not only the Muslims about Islam, but we need to understand in particular Christians and in particular those who want to uh, 
proselytize. A Christian now, instead of buying an airplane ticket to Africa, needs to just drive to the next zip code. There's no need to get on the plane anymore to convert Muslims. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and here's the, the biggest thing that I come across is that the people who are the most ignorant about a subject think that they're the most educated. It doesn't matter, you know, those who hate on Christianity, they've never read the Bible, much less the New Testament. And they think they're the most educated on Christianity. They've ne never read the Quran, the Hadith, the Tasvir, etc. And they think they're the most educated on Islam. And, you know, it's like these are the same type of people who put these cliche, idiotic uh, bumper stickers on the back of their car that say coexist. And, oh. you know, and they don't even get that... You know, if, if they had the wherewithal, the IQ level to say, you know, maybe I should read the the beliefs of each of these religions in this bumper sticker so that I know what they teach to see if they can coexist. You know, they don't start with that premise. They just, you know, hey, you know, Christianity and Islam and and Judaism, they're all Abra Abrahamic religions, and therefore, can't we all just get along? And once you actually open up the Quran and the Islamic text, and you realize what it is, you you quickly realize that there is no way possible that we can coexist because the tenets of Islam are juxtaposed to the entire foundation of Western civilization. I agree. I agree. This battle has been going on a long time, but we now have the tools to end it today because, like I say, this is an ideological struggle. If we would, let me let me let me make a summary statement here. Twenty years after 9/11, we're losing, 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 and we're getting weaker and weaker. The Muslims are getting stronger and stronger. We're being neurotic and don't want to look at the fact we're losing because we don't want to ask the question, "What should we do to win?" But we need to ask these questions. The trouble with it is that what's so painful to me is, is that we can win. And yet we decide not to win because we, we want to be nice. Here's the deal. Well, nice by definition, nice actually means foolish or stupid. So, well, I'm just telling you that I've in here in the town of Nashville, Tennessee, your Islam is safe from the Christians because they're not going to try to convert you. I mean, of all things, the Pope even recently said that you shouldn't try to convert Muslims. Where does this man live? Right. And has he ever opened up the book, the Bible? I wonder. Well, I'm being ironic. Horatio in the chat says, uh, Happy New Year. Why is the nation of Islam defended more, but Christianity is more demonized? And, you know, they're juxtaposed. Christianity believes the truth is God. Islam, it's okay to beat your wife. It's okay to murder non-believers. It's okay to murder Tesfir. It's okay to, you know, pedophilia is okay, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why is one defended and the other one attacked? You know, Christians are the most attacked people on the planet right now. They're also the most persecuted group. Right. And this irritates me because if we're bringing refugees into America, why are we bringing Christians? I just ask you that question. Right. Good question. Why are, the, why, why are, most, of them, why are most of them Muslims? And I'll tell you why. In the town of Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm just talking about what I see and know here. The biggest supporter of Islam are the pulpits of the churches. They're the ones who say, oh, yes, we have a we have a, a Christian governor who is a very pious man, and he wants to bring in all the Muslims he can, because therefore they'll be safe in America and we can and they, he thinks they'll be converted. This is not happening. This is these are actions made by people who are pious and well-meaning. But what they want to do is they want to tie and the Muslims want to win. Now, if you, if you have two teams and one is playing to tie and the other is playing to win, which one's going to win? I ask you. Well, the, one the ones who win. wants to win, you know, and, exactly. uh, and one is going to use lying and murder and subjugation and, uh, you know, we got we to gotta tax the demi, et cetera. And the other one is going to say, oh, can't we all just get along? See, I have my coexist bumper sticker on the back of my car. And by the way, let's give up our Second Amendment rights and our First Amendment rights so we can't even defend ourselves. And meanwhile, you know, and let's and let's have abortions. Meanwhile, our 
Islamists getting rid of their guns? Are they murdering their own babies, et cetera? Of course they're not, you know. And so this, all of this plays into that ultimate agenda of subjugating Western culture. What irritates me is we seem to be willing to subjugate ourselves. Right. Well said. We seem to be willing to subjugate ourselves. This does not go well. Look, don't believe anything I've told you. Instead, say, well, I'm not going to believe anything Warner says. I just want to look at history. What happens over 1,400 years of history? I've talked to Christians who did not know that Syria used to be Christian, Turkey used to be Christian, Iraq used to be Christian, Iran was half Christian, they don't even, Egypt was Christian. Christians don't even realize that almost everywhere they look to see Islam used to be Christian. All of those cities written to by Paul in the Bible that used to be Christian that are gone now or, you know, and that's they were all subjugated by Islam. And don't forget the seven churches of Asia. So all of these are gone. Saul was from Tarsus. Do you know how many, do you know how many Muslims, I mean, I'm sorry, do you know how many Christians are left in Tarsus? It has a different name today. Zip, zero and none. So this is what's happened in history. Why do we think it will happen differently today? If we, it's the same Islam and Islam does not change. That's another one we can talk about later. The fool, anyone who says that Islam can be reformed just told me, he says, I don't know anything about the topic. So all of these things are happening and they're happening because we're not playing heads up ball. Right. Well, and how much is uh, Islam and or how much are, are Islam and Muhammad about peace? A small amount. Like two percent or something like that. I'm going to give you an example. All right. I took the Hadith by Bukhari. They're on my hard drive. And I searched for every Hadith tradition about jihad. 21% of the Hadith by Bukhari are about jihad. So that's about 1,400 Hadith. That's a lot of killing. So you then take those and you sort them in as two piles now, the jihad about the inner struggle and the jihad of killing Kafirs. 1.6% of them are about jihad, the inner struggle. The other, basically 98% about killing Kafirs. So can we say that Islam is a religion of peace? Yes, we can, 2%. 1.6, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm trying to give you every air, every edge I can here, okay? <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, of course, we're always told that jihad means the inner peace or the inner struggle and not the well, other. Well, that is one of the meanings. The other 98%. Well, yeah, but they're going to play the 2% up or the 1.6% up. They're going to blow that up really big and then make the other 98.4% super, super, super tiny. That's the way it works. But that's all they want to talk about. They want to talk about the good. Talking about the good, I just want to talk about the whole thing. I've been an expert witness in a court of law, and I had to swear that I would tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That is, I was not only not going to, I was supposed to not lie, I was also supposed to tell him the whole truth. Right. Why did I take an oath to tell the whole truth? Because a half truth is a lie. Right, absolutely. It's the middle of the road fallacy. So... So that's where we are. We need to know more, and instead, oh, I, you you cut out for a second. Say that last sentence. We we need to know more because knowing only that we need to be sweet and nice is not doing our job. Right, and uh, again, the the definition of nice means foolish and su- stupid. So if you're worried about being nice out there to everyone, you're worried about being foolish or not foolish and stupid enough. So uh, take that into I love, account. I love to say this. Jesus was not a nice man. He was a kind man, but he was not a nice man. That's very true. He stirred up trouble. As a matter of fact, I sometimes wonder what are, what are being taught in the pulpits at all anymore? Because Jesus was a difficult man. He offended those who were powerful. And the Christians that are here in Nashville, Tennessee are not going to offend anybody. They don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to debate on issues. And yet Jesus was debating as even as a child or young and teenager. So you just kind of wonder, what are people reading anymore these days who go to church? I mean, it's just a question. Right. Yeah. Well, and they and, need and to. Why, and why wouldn't they take with relish? The, the Great Commission is the ultimate weapon against Islam. Well, so much weapon. of Christianity has been watered down in the last 40 or 50 years, too, to make it 
not about this political Jesus that was all about truth and logos, to, but to make it about, you know, peace and love and can't we all just get along type of stuff. And then uh, meanwhile, Christians are being massacred and they're letting it happen. And you've used the right term. We are letting it happen. It's not that it happens. And I think there, this is wrong. You don't have to be a Christian to look and say, look, if this is the most persecuted group of people in the world, not tending to their needs is wrong. You can be an atheist and reach that moral fallen. Am I, am I crazy here? Right. Well, and then the atheists will most likely support the Islamists and say, well, you know, they're the ones that are the victims. And, you know, people have a hard time grasping why we've been at war with Islam so long. And once you actually get in, if you use this thing called your brain or gray matter and you get in there and you start reading these texts and you realize how much they these books are about killing non-believers, then you begin to realize why we've been at war with them. They're not just happenstance wars for profit and this and that and, oh, you know, Christianity and Islam are two sides of the same coin type of stuff. Once you get that one is about truth or logos and the other one is about will and do whatever you want to and that they want to kill us, then you can begin to have a deeper understanding of the issue and not think in such shallow-minded, cliché terms. Well, we need to do some serious thinking because we're, we're not doing it now. As a matter of fact, I've, I've said these things so many times, I, I, I get weary of saying them in one more time. But we have to take the responsibility of reading the actual Islam. Islam is very simple. It is the doctrine contained in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. That's it. So if that's where it is, then why not read it? Now, by the way, there was an excuse that could be made. Let, let me talk about this. We're at a unique point in history. For the first time in human history, it is possible for anybody to understand the doctrine of Islam. Anybody. Because all you have to do is read the biography of Muhammad, which has now been made simple. You read his traditions, which have now been made simple. And the Quran has now been made understandable as well. So for the first time in human history, the guy who comes to fix your commode can now understand Islam, okay? It used to be you had to be really smart. You had to be a historian. You had to be an Arab scholar or whatever, but you don't have to anymore. Not only myself, but others such as Robert Spencer have written books so that anyone who can read a magazine can understand Islam. So therefore, why do we not shoulder the burden of understanding it? And by the way, let me say this to those who've never read it and studied it. It is fascinating. It's like a science fiction novel. It's like an upside down world. Everything that you thought you know is like denied. Let's talk about women. I have two daughters. I've been married to the same woman for since 1963, okay, 57 years. I love women in every way. My grandchildren were here. I love them old and young, but we need to know that we need to take care of, our, of women. And instead what is happening is we're letting people live amongst us who advocate wife beating. That's what the Quran does. That's what Muhammad did. And we're not objecting to this. How can you possibly maintain that you're any sort of feminist? And I don't mean a card carrying feminist. I mean, even that you think that women should be treated well. How can you not speak out against Islam? I mean, Right. And whereas in, in stark contrast, the Bible very clearly states that men are to treat women as themselves and you wouldn't hurt your own body. So why would you harm your wife? Well, I agree with you. But why is it that we have all of these nice people who are saying that we don't want to know anything about Islam because we might have to deal with it? Right. One time a man told me, he says, Bill, here's your problem. You know, all these facts that are painful. He says, you're like a man who's married to a woman who's the most beautiful woman in the world. She's worth millions of dollars. She's charming. She's got a great personality and she's cheating on her husband. The husband doesn't want to know about this because then he will have to deal with the issue. Right. And he says, that's the problem with you. He says, you bring up issues that no one wants to deal with. Granted that we should deal with them, but we don't want to do it. And yet, the painful part to me is, is that once you learn this material, you become highly skilled and you can become useful to your own children, to your own neighbors, to everyone else. You can become useful to your congregation. So this is what needs to be done. Look, I'm a former college professor. I'm an advocate of knowledge and teaching and learning. That's what I'm about. I'm also about the fact that learning is fun. 
call me weird. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and it's always okay to admit when you're wrong about something, when you discover a new truth. You know, most people don't have the intellectual honesty when they discover that they're wrong about something to go out and admit it. You know, and then uh, if you do go out and admit it, people like you and I are attacked. Oh, well, we must be uh, Mossad agents or who knows whatever type of, you know, uh, ad hominem that they want to create to to uh, marginalize the facts that we are bringing forth for people to understand. So, you know, it's easier for people to name call it you and I and Lloyd, et cetera. Uh, for exposing this stuff than it is for them to get a copy of the Quran and sit down and read it and go, oh my goodness, this stuff is correct. It's easier for people to say, it's all this evil book, the Talmud, which I was telling you you know, before the show that I went through and I started checking all of these so-called quotes from the Talmud. Only one out of 70 that I checked was correct. That's 1.6% accuracy. That's <coughs> 98.4% BS. And uh, these these quotes are touted around to, you know, sh- to justify these synagogue attacks and shootings and stuff going on. Aye. And and, uh, you know, meanwhile, it took me two days to find 75 percent of the same claims made against the Jews. Seventy five percent of them were found within two days in the Islamic text, without much effort. It took me two and a half months to go through the uh, the Talmud and prove that all of these were false. Two days to find the same stuff in the in the Islamic text. Well, they don't hide it. I mean, right? this is not, this is an open secret. This is an open secret. So anyway, I had, oh, by the way, if you want to learn about Islam, do not pick up the Quran first. Pick up the life of Muhammad first. Because once you understand Muhammad, then the Quran is like, oh, this is the way it makes sense. I published a Quran which I did something sort of interesting. I took all the, uh, the verses in the Quran and put them in the right time order. So that the early stuff is early and the latter, the latter verses are later, which is different than the way the Quran is written. I then collected all the same topics together. And then I did the miracle thing of taking Muhammad's life and the Quran and, and putting them together so that now then you can understand. Here's an example. When you read the Quran, all of a sudden this verse leaps off the page at you. Allah says to Muhammad, it was okay to burn the palm trees. And if you're reading the Quran, if you're reading it, you go, wait a minute, why on earth are we burning palm trees? Whose palm trees are these? And why was it okay to burn them? Well, it turns out if you were alongside Muhammad, you would know that 10 days before he had attacked some Jews and was not able to defeat them. So he then took and burned down their date palms because they were date palm farmers. The Arabs of his own day said, Muhammad, that is a war crime because by Arab custom, you didn't burn crops. And he says, aha. And then Allah gives him this verse which said it was okay to burn the palm trees. Anyway, in my Quran, you have the story of Muhammad with the Jews before you get the verse burning palm, the tree burning verse. So therefore it's easy to understand. So I come back to this again. For the first time in human history, the Quran has been made easy for anyone to understand who just has even idle curiosity. This is where this is the painfulness of my life. I thought when I presented this answer in a simple form that people would go, oh, Bill, thank you so much. And they would run to get it. Oh, they ran okay, but you know which direction they ran? <laughs> Out the door. Right. Well, you know, you and I have both experienced the same type of uh, attacks and things for exposing this stuff. And, you know, it's it's quite uh, interesting when you, you know, like like you said earlier, you get the most flack when you're over the target. And, yep. and people don't want, you know, the public to know that it's Islam is the real issue. You know, yes. and it, you're supposed to be focused on uh, evil Judaism and evil Christianity. And when you realize that the whole foundation of Western civilization and everything that we enjoy and freedom and everything there is based upon the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, and that, you know, they basically want to create Chrislam by getting rid of the oh. Old Testament, killing off the Jews and bringing in Sharia law, you know, and then this is the new 
world uh, peace that they want to uh, bring in. Uh, Sonia Zam asks, uh, Bill, do you perceive a real threat of Islamic dominance in Western governments eventually? Yes. Here's why. They want it. They want the power. And we want to share the power. That's the reason they're <laughs> right. <laughs> We're willing to share it. Yeah. I, I cannot tell you how many people that I've had who defend Islam, who know nothing about it, and they're good, what they would call good Christians. Right. Well, and Christians are supposed to follow Logos, truth, reason, the word, and they're not using truth, reason, the word when they spew this stuff, and they get caught up in spewing lies and defending Islam. And, you know, you go back to, uh, you know, Ishmael, and he's going to be the antagonist to the rest of humankind forever, you know, and it's like, wait a second, you know, this is, this is, uh, not the religion of, of peace. But let's take, let's take a look at a local university here, a Christian university. If you take what's in their catalog, you will come out thinking that Islam. Uh, you, you cut, you cut out again for a second. Go ahead and repeat that last sentence. At Lipscomb university. If you take the courses in their catalog, you'll come away thinking that Islam is the religion of peace because the persecution of Christians over 1,400 years, 60 million Christians, they teach nothing of this history. That's wrong. You can be a secular university and you should know this history because not only were Christians killed, Buddhists were killed, 10 million, 80 million Hindus, and 120 million Africans. You would think that these numbers would cause universities to want to teach about this information. Nope, they don't want to teach about it. They don't want their students to know about it. Uh, there are professors at Lipscomb University, which is, uh, let me remind you again, a Christian school who say that Christians and Muslims all worship the same God. And when you grasp what's really going on, Christians, Christians worship Logos, the word. Muslims worship will. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. That is not the same God by any stretch of anyone's imagination. Oh, it drives me nuts to even for some people to even, I mean, and these are what are called good people. And yet they advocate lies. Right. Now, I'm not sure how much they understand they're lying. And if they do think they're bending the truth a little, it's for a good need, a good reason. There's no good reason to lie unless you are saving lives. If there's some bizarre, brutal circumstances, you and I are caught in a room with a mass gunman or something. I'm just making this up as I go. There may be some times in which lies can be said to save innocent souls. But in general, why not just deal with the truth of the matter? And again, I come back to the fact it's easy to know now. And I'll tell those who are listeners, it's not only easy to know, it is, I advocate it is fun to know because it gives you a certain feeling of power. Knowledge is power. And so we need to embrace knowledge so that we'll become powerful. But yes, I think we're losing our, this year something happened in Nashville, Tennessee. On the city council, we now have a Muslim, a member of the Muslim Brotherhood now who now sits on the city council. And you know who was delighted with this election? The Christians were a lot delighted. The Jews were delighted. The leftists were delighted. Everyone was so delighted that now then we have a Muslim sitting on our city council and we are so, you ready for the T word? Tolerant. Right. Well, and you know, everybody's always promoting this uh, word diversity. We have to have diversity. Well, what's the root of diversity other than divide. As a scientist, I've dealt with manufacturing process. And what you want is you want as little diversity as you can get on a production line. Diversity right. are called failed parts. <laughs> right. Well, you know, let me see here. At one point, I had looked this up. And uh, let's see if... Okay, so I'm just looking in the... Uh... Uh, Oxford English Dictionary here. Uh, uh, diversity, contrary to what is agreeable, good, or right. Perversity, evil, mischief. So here's diversity, folks, up on screen here. And uh, perversity, evil, mischief. That's diversity. That's what you numbskulls who go around and say, we got to have diversity. That's what you're promoting. Perversity, evil, mischief. Right there. Right in the dictionary. So, you know, it's like when people use this word nice, and nice actually means 
stupid or foolish. You know, you got to start looking up what the words mean that you use. And when people realize that, uh, you know, diversity is a bad thing, that, you know, it means to divide, division, just look at the root word of things. And nice, you know, well, we have to be nice, you know. Well, you don't, no, you don't have to be stupid or foolish. Nobody accuses me of being nice, you know. <laughs> I bet they don't accuse you of being nice either. <laughs> Actually, I don't think they do. My grandchildren <laughs> think I'm nice. <laughs> well, that you should correct them next time. I'm kind, I'm friendly, I'm not nice, right? So uh, let's see here. Uh, talk about David Wood for a minute. He's a great man. Well, that's the shortest summary we can give him, but it's true. Why not call him a great man? Because he's courageous. He speaks in public the truth. He's a highly intelligent man. He, he's got brains to spare. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his because of his courage, his willingness to present himself. We need a thousand more just like him. The only problem with David Wood is he's only one. Right, yeah. Uh... Somebody is teasing me in the audience that I'm nice. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and I recommend, I forgot his channel. You know, and I, I'd love to get him on the show. I've tried to reach out to him several times. But, uh, David, if you do end up seeing this episode, I'd love to get you on and uh, help you promote your work. So uh, reach out. I've sent you a few messages in the past. Uh, would love to have you on. Talk about the government intervention into religion, uh, such as the Bible versus the Quran, and like uh, places like the state of Washington. Oh boy, that's a big guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned the state of Washington. There's a prison in Washington, D.C. I mean, I'm sorry, the state of Washington, a prison in the state of Washington, was now on their own webpage basically tell us that Islam is the religion of truth and peace. What does the penal system have to do with theology anyway? I mean, but here they come proclaiming all the things that Islam would like said about itself. The state of Washington through one of its penitentiaries is saying, no, no, this is all true. The thing that Christians and, and Muslims all worship the same God. All of these things are now being, because everyone, let me tell you something. Inside of the prison system, there's a great fear of Islam. Let me give you an example. I'm changing topics here, but I'm talking about the same thing. I had a man get in touch with me who was the head of the past of the uh, chaplain's unit for the prison systems in Tennessee. And he said to me, he says, we're losing people all the time to Islam inside the prisons. What can I do? I says, I can tell you exactly how to stop it. He says, really? I says, yes. I says, you need to study Islam through the eyes of Muhammad and slavery. You need to learn about how, how, how Muhammad was a slaver. I had sex slaves, he had white slaves, he had Arab slaves, he had black slaves. I said, you need to teach the history of Islam and slavery. He was like, oh, I can't do that. I said, well, you asked me what to do, I told you what to do. Because I said, many of the people being converted in prisons are black. The subject of slavery is very sensitive to them. So they need to understand that the world's biggest slave owner is Muhammad. I said, that'll cut, but what do we have here? We have here a Christian chaplain who is afraid to discuss the truth of Islam. So therefore, more men are being converted. How many more men do you think are converted in the state of Washington with the penal system saying, oh no, Islam is a great thing? A lot of course, more. There are more. You know, so therefore, and, and we get into this business we're losing. Last, uh, what, spring or so, we did a show discussing Islam and slavery and how it's at the core of slavery. And of course, the Christians get blamed for for it. It's always spun against Christianity. I'll agree, but Christians themselves, I've seen Christians who are more than willing to be abused. I give you the Archbishop of Canterbury. He's willing to be abused at the role the white people had in slavery. Hello, Archbishop of Canterbury. How about waking up and learning the whole truth? Because it was British who stopped the slave trade in Africa. And yet, what do Christians do? They want to wallow around in the mud of their sins and, and wrongs instead of realizing, yeah, look, that, we that, stopped it. That, that, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you have these liberals who are, you know, uh, self, self-hating, you know, whatever, because their great, 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 great grandfather may or may not have been involved in something that they know nothing about, you know, and it's just... Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just uh, stupid stacked high. It, you know, it's it gets it gets really ridiculous. So uh, let's see here. Um, we already talked about your sh uh, shadow banning. But, you know, while we're on this topic, talk about leftists and progressives. Well, we have two enemies in dealing with Islam. There's the far enemy, who is Islam. Then there's the near enemy, which they are the apologists for Islam. Now then, you don't have to be a leftist to be an apologist for Islam, but they are the biggest and most powerful. And the reason is, is that the leftist and the Muslims look at each other and see something very similar in each other. They're both totalitarians, all right? And so they're totalitarians. They also want to see, they want to create a utopian society by first destroying our society. So the left sees themselves as the hammer and the Muslims see themselves as the anvil. Now the left thinks that after we destroy these bad people in America and in Europe, we'll then have a peaceful world with us living with peaceful world with Islam don't know anything about history at all. Well, and the leftists, the liberals, don't get that once the Christians are out of the way, the first people the Islamists will murder are the leftists. Exactly. Let me give you a historic example of this. I ain't making this up. You, you heard of the country of Iran, which is now the Islamic Republic, so-called. Do you know who brought the Muslims to power? It was the Tudor party, a leftist communist party, in Iran. Five days after Khomeini came to power, you know what he did? He issued death warrants for all the Tudor party leaders. <laughs> they were like a clinic. So he'd used them, now's the time to throw them away. So the left is not gonna come out well in this. Right. But then again, the left are utopians and so they don't believe history anyway. Well, that's what Marxism is all about. You, uh, you subjugate all of the uh, uh, morals of the culture and you promote the, let's call it what it is, the fall. And then they believe that out of this destruction of morality and the promotion of pedophilia and transgender and murder and all of this stuff, this utopian world will rise out of this. When, it, when everybody lived under Logos, it already was a utopia, right? But they, they want to kill the utopia for this delusional Marxist uh, Islamic air quotes utopian system where uh anything goes including molesting children you know muhammad was you know let's t talk about his six-year-old wife aisha and uh you know these these uh imams and whatnot who talk about how it's okay to you know you're not, you can't have sexual intercourse with a girl until she's nine years or and a day but you can rub your you know, your, your phallus between her thighs up until that point, even if she's a suckling infant, you know. You can't make this stuff up, can you? No, no. And, and, and of course, you know, therefore, all, all, all for that, because to the left, you know, it's all freedom is about gay sex and doing drugs and NAMBLA and promoting pedophilia and this sort of thing. That's what they think freedom is. They don't even understand that they're right, their, their freedom to whine, bitch, and complain about Christianity and the right comes from Christianity and the right, you know? Have a move to an Islamic nation and, and criticize Islam, see how well they like that. Right, and see how long they live you know, being transgender and, and, and gay. And, you know, it won't be very long, you know. And, and then it'll be a painful death. And it'll be a painful death, and then they'll be sitting there longing for the Christian culture they so despised and helped subjugate, you know. It, we, it, have to, we have to blame the Christians in this as well because they are, they're willing to do anything to just get along. Well, and, you know, if Christians would stick to what is logos, what is truth and reason, and not subjugate themselves to all of these lies, we could fix this thing. But, you know, for the last 50 years, Christianity has been so heavily, you know, reinterpreted for this, this soft Christianity, you know, that, uh, you know, people don't understand what it's what it's about at its core and how all of the high cultures throughout the world were Christian. You know, what, what high arts, etc., have uh, Islamist countries brought us? Well, let's take the modern times. 
there's never been a Nobel Prize won by a Muslim working on his own in a Muslim nation. Never has happened even once. There've been a handful of Muslims who've received Nobel Prizes who are working with Kafirs, non-Muslims, and in Kafir countries, non-Muslim countries. So I give you this just little example, Scotland. Little Scotland has won more Nobel Prizes in science than all of Islam. But then again, here's Islam as well. There's never been a best-selling novel translated into Arabic. Did you know that? Wow. As a matter of fact, fewer than 200 books a year, are I'm, not, I'm excluding manuals. I'm talking about <laughs> literature. I'm so, not talking about the manual you get. Your Chilton's manual, right? <laughs> right, your Chilton's manual. So, but otherwise, I mean, we have the information in front of us. We have to start using. We have to, instead of blaming others for our faults, because what have Christians done? They brought Marxism within the theology schools. Let me give you an example of a seminary out of Kentucky. These are little stories that I've accumulated. This woman was in the seminary school, a Methodist school, and another woman said to her that she used to be a Muslim and she converted to Christianity. What did the Christians say? Well, why would you do that? Islam is a wonderful religion. This is inside a seminary. So therefore, this woman doesn't have to be pushed very far until she's just pious and useless. Well, she should go talk to Sonia Azam. I advocate that every church needs to bring apostates into their church. I tell you this, Christians in that church would learn what real Christianity is. And they would learn what real Islam is as well. You know? That as well. <laughs> right? You know, so Sonia, you know, try to drag, you know, drag them kicking and screaming into uh, churches on the weekends, you know. Go down to Cajon Street on that on that corner where the four churches are and drag them in there. But, um, you know, uh, let's see. So how has Islam subjugated other cultures for 1,400 years? Well, because they have a winning plan, and they continue to use the same plan over and over again. That's, that's a short answer. But the reason is, is that when Christianity and the Persians had fought against each other, they were weakened militarily. And this was the world that Islam exploded out of the Arabian Peninsula into this new world. And they were able to take advantage of the weakened Persians and the weakened Christians. This process has gone on for 1400 years since then. And what has happened is, is that Christians have been unwilling to engage Islam on ideological war. And this is what needs to be done. And I think it should be done in a somewhat joyous fashion. And when I talk about ideological war, people may get sort of a little frightened here. But I'm talking about something which is the telling of truth and the argument about truth. And thank you, everybody in the chat who's been donating and supporting the show tonight. Uh, thanks, Dashing Rogue. He says, Happy New Year and welcome to the Roaring Twenties. That is right. We are <laughs> entering the Roaring Twenties. Here we go. And uh, thanks uh, to everyone else who supported the show tonight. I greatly appreciate it. Um, you know, Bill, I'd love to have you back. You're a great guest. It's just because I talk a lot. Right? Well, you know, that helps other than dead air, you know. I mean, uh, you know, if, you know, what, what what we could do is just sit here and stare at, you know, the camera for an hour and not right. say anything, yeah. you know. <laughs> right. And, and babble senseless uh, nonsense, you know. But, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is facts and primary research in the last five, six, seven years have become hate speech, you know, and people, people can't use, you know, they don't use the trivium, they don't use grammar, logic and rhetoric, who, what, where, when, why and how before they come to any conclusion, they think that whatever they believe through emotion, or even worse, primacy of consciousness, whatever they push out onto the world, that's reality. Uh, you know, this is, this is the thinking of today, whatever feels good, whatever you know, whatever I like, you know, facts don't matter because, you know, you're just a reflection of me, Bill. You don't have your own free agency to do what you want. You know, I, you're just 100% of a reflection of me. And in the liberal mind, the most egoic thing ever, they are God because everything is just a reflection of them, you know? Well, it's a sad world. I'm an intellectual. I love thought. I love reasoning. And I want to use it to help save the civilization I'm in. That's basically my life goal. Well said. So let's get you back on sometime soon. All right. 
Let's do it. All right. And uh, next week, let's see. I think, yeah, next week Steve Jones is going to be on. That should be a good show. We'll be doing part three with him, and he wants to get into the real history of Bethlehem, et cetera. And uh, so that'll be good. And then uh, I'm not sure who will be on uh, the 14th. It'll probably be John Kleizek again to talk about the school world order and the trivium again. And uh, so we have uh, lots of good stuff lined up. Thank you so much, Bill, for your uh, participation tonight. I really appreciate you coming on in such a short notice. Glad to help. We, uh, look. I've enjoyed myself. Have you enjoyed yourself? Absolutely. I, 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 I like talking to you because, you know, you're actually, you know, it, it's rare that there there that you come across people who are intelligent enough to get this stuff. Right. Yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thank thanks you. for what you do and who you are. Likewise. And uh, good night. Uh, thanks everybody for your support. Happy new year. You got about six hours left from now to get to your, New Year's party or whatever you're planning to do tonight. And uh, so we'll wrap it up here and see you next year. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Goodbye.